0: That's a lot of scripture in the bulletin this morning, isn't it? (laughs) But it's a great story, don't you think? I'm committed to um, preaching through the book of Daniel, and it may take the rest of my life, because I don't want to write a new sermon every time I preach. I mean, what what good is there to be retired if you have to write a new sermon every time you preach? (laughs) But there's stuff in here for us it seems to me. Um, the rest of the story from the uh, book of Daniel, chapter 2. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will give him the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found an exile from Judah, a man who can tell you, the king, the interpretation. And the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king, No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or diviners can show the king the mystery that the king is asking. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And God has disclosed to King Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the end of days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay on the bed were these... To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be hereafter, and the revealer of mysteries disclosed to you what it is to be. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me because of any wisdom that I have, any more than any other living being, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind." You were looking, O king. And there appeared a great statue. The statue was huge. Its brilliance, extraordinary. It was standing before you, and its appearance was frightening. And the head of the statue was fine gold, and its chest and arms of silver, and its midsection and thighs were of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked on, a stone that was cut out, not by human hands, and it struck the statue of the feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze and the silver, the gold, were all broken in pieces and became like chaff in the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that there was not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the king the interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, and and to whose hands um, he has given human beings wherever they live, and wild animals of the field and birds of the air, and whom he has established ruler over all of them, you are the head of gold. And after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and yet a third of bronze, which shall rule over the whole earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, and the iron crushes and smashes everything. It shall crush and shatter all these things. As you saw... The feet and toes were partly of a potter's clay and partly of iron. It shall be defi- a divided kingdom, but some of the strength of the iron shall be in it, as you saw the iron mixed with clay. As the feet, as the toes of the feet were part iron and part clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle as you saw the iron mixed with clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, and the iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall this kingdom be left to another people, but it shall crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw, a stone was cut from a mountain, not by human hands, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has informed the king of what shall be hereafter. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is trustworthy. This is the word of the Lord. So many of you know, I didn't grow up Presbyterian. I grew up Baptist. And uh, we were not a creedal people. We didn't have creeds and confessions. And we prided ourselves on that. We believed we went right to the Bible, which is not true, actually. But that's another sermon. (laughs) So when I became Presbyterian, I noticed that um, all all my uh, Presbyterian friends had memorized and knew... um, Completely, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. So I dutifully memorized both of them so I could fit in. But one thing that caught my attention, in both of those creeds, it says, crucified under Pontius Pilate. An odd thing to say. Both creeds say that. It seemed odd to me. Why not just say crucified, dead, and buried? It's a lot simpler. Why name a particular person as a part of that crucifixion. Now, what's interesting to me is I learned that these creeds, both the uh, Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, grew up under imperial Rome. One under occupation, that is the Apostles' Creed, one under co-optation, that is the Nicene Creed. So it, it occurred to me that actually Um, uh, suggesting that um, there was a crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. Imperial Rome was a gutsy thing to put into the creed, right? Huh? And then I read Luke Brotherton's interpretation of this, which I think is really on spot. Here's what he says. When the creeds say crucified under Pontius Pilate, it's a judgment on all local authorities that exploit their people. It's a judgment on them. And so when the creeds say that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and descended into heaven, it is that that exposes the limits of their power and their fear of their own limits. And according to, according to Luke Brotherton, that's, uh, that's the God of the creed. It's not all that God does, but one of the things God does is expose the limits of our powers, and the fear of our own limits. You see, this is the God of the Exodus. It just may be the God that we saw at work this very week as a courageous 25-year-old testified on national TV before the January 6th hearing. It certainly is the God of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that exposes the limits of his power and the fear of his own limits, and he is terrified. And so he brings his staff together, the people who are supposed to interpret the dream, and he wants to know not just the dream, but the interpretation of the dream. It's kind of his ways of controlling things, you see, or there are probably varieties of interpretations of what that uh, is about. But then he says something, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Now, that's a horrible thing, don't you think? That's pretty rough. That's, um, that's, that's, not, that's not like throwing your lunch against the wall. That's, that's, a, that's a horrible thing. <laughs> so what's going on here? Is, is the king just trying to control the situation so he won't be duped? That's what some people say but I read another interpretation of this which, which is really compelling to me and that is, is the king may have forgotten the dream huh you're not buying that it does sound a little weird maybe the, the, the king forgot the dream but, but what if a dream so terrorized him that he could not recall it completely he just couldn't bring it up. I think there's something to that. It so terrorized him. The limits of his power and the fear of his own limits. It so terrib- t- t- terrified him that he couldn't, he couldn't recall. He, he, he would not recall it. Um, it's interesting. Now, I suspect that his staff, the diviners, uh, actually understood some of this. You know, they're not dumb people. They've been around power a whole lot. And when somebody when, when, when somebody in power says they had a dream and it terrified them, it's always got to be about clay feet. You know that? <laughs> they know that. They're not stupid people. Um, but they fear that if they deliver that message, then it's not gonna go well. And so here comes Daniel before national TV, <laughs> an exile. A lowly person, not even part of the staff, giving an interpretation of the dream and talks about clay feet that are vaporized. But the interesting thing about Daniel is he doesn't give this interpretation as his own. He gives, them, he gives it as God's interpretation. This is God speaking through Daniel as God spoke through the prophets. Daniel, after all, is in the... The Book of the Prophets. This is what Daniel did, and he spoke for God. It's a powerful message. Powerful message for us today. Um, On this Fourth of July weekend, um, it invites us to ponder what what is what is the uh, what is the nightmare that we forgot? What's the nightmare that exposes the limits of our power and the fear of our own limits? What is that nightmare? could be a lot of things. One thing that comes to mind is I ponder Daniel, this lowly exile who was not even part of the staff who goes on national TV and exposes everything. One thing I I pondered is something that was exposed to us during the pandemic that we're, we're, we're tending to forget. Do you remember the essential workers that went to work during the pandemic and kept the nation running? Do you remember them? We are tending to forget them, largely, largely um, black and brown folk, marginalized folk. There's something real ironic about calling them essential workers and then not paying them enough to live on. Don't you think? Is that a nightmare that we tend to forget? I think it is. It is. Because maybe it exposes our fragility, exposes the limits of our power and the fear of our own limits. Maybe it does that. I mean, why can't we at least enact a law that, 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 that pushes the minimum wage to $15 an hour? Have you ever tried? Can you imagine living on $15 an hour? <laughs> and we can't even do that. Is that a nightmare that we have forgotten? I wonder if it is. I wonder if... Um, If that's being exposed in our midst is something that we should be about. These are people, by the way, uh, who who, uh, 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 are not only marginal in our world, many of them, but they've come as immigrants. They're exiled too here. Um, These are are folk who uh, perhaps are following the American dream or hoping for it. Or maybe they're native-born and haven't given up on it, perhaps. But they're living in our midst Take a look around tomorrow on 4th of July and see who's working. Take a look around. If you dare, ask them how much they make. Interesting conversation might happen. One of the best books that I've read with you um, in the book groups that I've been doing is Heather McGee's The Sum of Us. And in that book, what she does is she exposes the uh, sum-zero paradigm, that is, is if you win, I lose... She exposes that as the chief paradigm of, the American, of, of American history and culture. She says that that's basically how we live. You win, I lose. And particularly in our history, it is a paradigm that if black people win, white people lose. Paradigm we see lived out in our very midst. It's there in the replacement theory, the myth of the replacement theory, isn't it? It's all there. But, but, but Heather McGee not only exposes that as a myth, she points to something really radical that's right in our midst if we'd only see it. It's just like the essential worker, right there if we'd only see it. And that is, is that it's not a sum zero world out there, actually, that's not what that's not, that's, that's not the best for this country. The best for this country is a win-win. Diversity is good for us. To have the diversity of perspectives to have the the, the diversity of of mind and heart, to hear the voices. It's good for us. It makes us stronger. What she says is that that our real power is, is, is not the power of the privileged. It's the power of diversity. It's the power of our interdependence, one with the other, of honoring, of honoring the work of the essential worker in our midst. Um, and that could go a lot towards healing the nation's wounds, it seems to me. You know, the American dream that we uh, kind of lift up and celebrate on the 4th of July weekend, uh, the American dream that, uh, that, that of the self-made person that can make it on their own, I think we all know that that's a myth, that I can make it on my own and I deserve to be here at the top, and the greatest fear is, is that I will lose it. The greatest fear is that my power will be exposed as faulty. It will be exposed as a fiction and fragility. The fear, the fear that I will lose my power will be exposed to. But perhaps that's the best thing that can happen to us because the real power of America, the real American dream is God's dream for the whole creation. It's a dream of interdependencies one with the other. It's the dream that our real power is, is interrelated with one another. It's honoring one another's gifts and paying them accordingly, rewarding them accordingly. You will, we reward one, we reward all of us. We, when one is lifted up, all are lifted up. That's God's dream for us. It's a remarkable vision that Daniel gives an immigrant an immigrant, an exile. Lowly Daniel gives a dream that exposes what we know is a fiction in order that we might live fully one with the other, interdependent, the lion with the lamb, the power of the many, the power of God with us. May it be so. Amen. Oh God, we thank you for the vision of Daniel. We thank you for the vision of um, the limits of our power and the fear of our own limits, the fragility exposed because it enables us to see that our real power, our real, our, our real benefit, our real abundance is one with the other, not against the other, with the other. In the fullness of power and in the fullness of of your love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.